Grace and peace to each of you here this morning. We bring you Christian greetings from the Pike Congregation in the Harrisonburg area. And we've really appreciated the hospitality and the accommodations you've shown to us so far here. We had the blessing of staying at Brother Bradley's last night. I took the opportunity to get up early and take a walk and just take in the morning and enjoy and to see the, uh, the environment and the beauty of the day, the calmness of the, the silence of the, the hills. We have a little more um, things going on, traffic and so on in our area. And so the solitude was very um, peaceful. And I thought, well, while I'm on my walk, maybe the Lord will give me a word for you all here this morning. Not that I didn't prepare, but there's always that that he could show you later. And, you know, I think with, with the, the death that in the community that we've, we've had and the heaviness that can bring to our hearts and how do we navigate um, the circumstances in life. Well, we, we, so far we had a, a very good Sunday school class discussion and seemed like our point of uh, our focus came down to the choices we have to make and the duty to make the correct choice in matters pertaining to how we view life, how we are content or, or discontent. But I think the real call upon our, our, uh, our lives is to have the knowledge and the experience and the peace of God and the presence of God so that those choices become easier, so that the choice in itself is not the hardship. But God wants us to come into a perspective where that becomes automatic, in a sense, to us to make the right choices in our life. And so I was on that walk and I went past the graveyard and very peaceful setting there. But, you know, you think of those souls that have gone on and their time is on this earth was fulfilled. What are we doing with our lives? Where will we spend eternity? And so it behooves us, I believe, to walk in and an awareness of our frailty of life. But in all of that, it seems like what the Lord would say to us this morning is to taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, sometimes our children have a little trouble with wanting to taste a certain thing. If they're like ours, we... They have a, they're very good at, at knowing whether they like something or not, even if they've never tasted it. And so we can <laughs> convince them to taste something, you will like it. Maybe we have those ideas about who God is. But the invitation is that God will reveal himself to us as a good God. Yes, he is a God of judgment and of recompense. And there is a heaven and a hell. There's two destinations. But I believe we operate best 
in fulfilling the will of God on our lives when we realize his goodness and when we understand that goodness. Out of that flows who we are to be in a fuller way. And so I invite you now to our text, Ephesians 5, <laughs> verses 8 through 14, to walk in light, to walk in light. So we have these three topics. We have love, we have light, we have wisdom. Not to think each of these three have opposites. The opposite of love, of course, is hatred, light, and darkness, wisdom, and foolishness, folly. These metaphors we use to describe reality, light. If you're not walking in light in a physical sense, you may as well be blind. The word light in the Bible is used to describe what God is, but it also, I believe, it describes who God is. 1 John 1, 5 says, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. So let's read our text here, verses 8 through 14. Ephesians 5, it says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So looking at verse 8, we were sometimes darkness. We were given that description in our fallen state. And now are ye light. This assumes a lot of things to become light in the Lord. It, you know, we, we know the requirements, the callings of God, repentance, confession, believing in our heart, faith in the Lord. And out of that, we arise to light. We see the light. We become a, a part of the nature of God in being able to see his light and experience it in our soul, in our being. Light is said to be a manifestation of who God is. And I believe that, you know, we are given that description of God, that he is light, because of the characteristics of light, natural light, in our natural world. There's some interesting things about light. The speed of light, it is unattainable. There's no way man is able to approach and to create a, an object that would travel the speed of light. It is mysterious in a sense. Um, we don't fully understand 
all the science behind what light is. It's, it's a wave, it's a particle, it's a combination of things, and as you go to study it, it seems to be elusive in a sense. And, and so, you know, God created the light. He made the physical world. The, the, it all originated from him. And so I believe in that sense it may hold characteristics of who God is, and God may use that to help us in our understanding of who he is, to describe the indescribable. And how did Jesus do this? Jesus used parables, allegories, illustrations, examples. There was a story. Uh, I enjoyed a a storybook when I was a young boy. It It was called The Night the Lights Went Out. It was a little boy that he enjoyed being a pioneer. He enjoyed, he had dreams for what he would be when he grew up. He wanted to be a fireman. He wanted to be an engineer. Maybe some of you remember that boy, Thatcher, if you ever read that story, but it was one of my favorites growing up. And he had his little train he liked to play with, his electric train. But he liked to pretend he was a pioneer. I think that was his favorite thing. And he would dress up in his coonskin hat. And he would tell his parents, I wish we could be a little more primitive, you know, a little more adventurous, and, and have candlelight suppers, and do things the old-fashioned way. And so all these modern conveniences, he he thought it'd be more exciting not to have them into, in a way that's a little more adventurous when you're a little boy because your parents are taking care of you and they take care of the details and when there's a problem, you just go to them. Well, a snowstorm came up. This snowstorm got pretty bad and got deep and the current went off, the electricity went off, and he got excited. He liked this darkness. So they stumbled around in the darkness. And his dad was commenting, well, you know, he wanted to watch a TV program that evening. So, you know, this wasn't a, a, a story by the Rod and Staff Publications. <laughs> so the father, Uh, went to to turn on the TV and the TV didn't go on. He forgot, you know, we are when the current's off. We go to flip the switch and things don't happen. We realize, oh, yes, the current's off. (laughs) Oh, he wanted to hear the radio, so he went to turn that off. That didn't work either. And meanwhile, Thatcher was, the little boy was reminding him, no, that's not going to work this evening. We're doing it the pioneer way. We're having fun. So eventually... It got time to go to bed. The current was still off. And one of little Thatcher's enjoyments was to run his little electric train before he went to bed. So he goes upstairs, has the story, and goes to turn on the train without thinking. No train, no, no current. Then he realizes for himself, 
current's off, the lights are off. And so he gains a little more perspective of that. So his dad's putting him to bed. And little Thatcher says, you know, Dad, I don't want to be an engineer. I don't want to be a fireman. I don't want to be a pioneer. I want to be an electricianer when I grow up so I can fix the wires. Okay, they were growing. He was gaining some perspective about light. It's necessary. We need it. And about that instant, the lights came back on. So the story had a good ending. But I thought of that in relation to, as we mature, we might, we might revel in some of the darkness of our youth, the things of the world. It might be attractive. It might be adventurous to us. Hopefully we get to a place in life where we say, I want to support the light. I want to do what I can to lift up the light of God in a spiritual sense. In the beginning, God created the world. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. But God had a remedy for that. He said, let there be light. Let there be a manifestation of myself. The thing I really like about verse 8 is the order in which it states now are ye light. And then the call is to walk as children of light. We serve God from a position of strength and a, an understanding and a realization that we are light. We are in God. Out of that, I think, flows the ability, the fullness of the ability to carry out the responsibility we have been given as children of light. We may think walk in light and then we will be light, but the order here is now are ye light. Walk in that realization. You know, speaking of allegories and illustrations that come to us from God's word and even things we see, but the Bible has much of this in the Old Testament. I thought of the plagues of Egypt when it comes to darkness. Remember the ninth plague of Egypt. Darkness. They saw not one another. They could not see reality. Physically. And we came through a time a number of years ago of that COVID thing. There was a sense in which things were shut down and we didn't see each other. It was darkness. And maybe some other levels of darkness were afflicting us as a nation and spiritually. We could not see one another. Another... Um, aspect of that is maybe not understanding one another. The world was perplexed, meaning there was darkness in the world. It could not make sense of itself. What was true? There was confusion. And in that account of Egypt 
in that plague, it said the darkness could be felt. It was palatable. And in many people's spirits, I think the darkness of our, our world can be felt. We can sense that darkness. Maybe this is a call to God, a, a wake-up call in a sense. Because if you remember between the ninth plague, darkness, and the tenth plague, there was a time of instruction given to the children of Israel. There was some steps that God walked them through, some things he gave them to do to prepare for the tenth plague. For the last and final plague that came upon him in that situation. And I look for patterns in which God works because I think he is a God that works in that way. And so perhaps that whole thing with COVID is, is God giving a little nudge saying this world is not my home. There may be other things worse than COVID to deal with, prepare for the 10th plague. Because you remember that 10th plague, um, it seemed like that one could have affected the, even the children of Israel if they didn't have the, the blood on the doorpost. God is saying, get your house in order. Get the blood on the doorpost. In so many ways, God has protected us and shielded us like he did those people in Egypt. Because it was dark in Egypt, but it was light in Goshen, in the camp of the righteous. Praise the Lord. Well, they had that death of the firstborn, and it said it affected all the firstborn from Pharaoh on his throne, even down to the captive in the dungeon, experienced that darkness. God was no respecter of person. And out of that situation, Pharaoh called for Moses in the middle of the night, at midnight, that last plague, that judgment went out. We think of night the deepest, darkest, symbolizing the dark part of that time. But out of that, you know, the children of Israel came out of that situation, out of that dark period of time. They, they even took the spoils of the darkness of Egypt. It became theirs. Isaiah 45, verse 2 and 3. Let's read some Old Testament. Let's apply this to our life. If we feel like our life is under the shadow of a ribbon of darkness, it's time to break out of that. Verse 2, it says, I will go before thee and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron. Verse 3, I will give thee the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of the secret places, that thou mayest know that I, the Lord, which call thee by thy name, am the God of Israel. 
That is a strength and a confidence, that authority that we have in the church of Jesus Christ. He has given us the power. What is it? To tread on serpents, on scorpions, on every living, on every evil thing. Psalm 139. Psalm 139, verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, if that is our fear, if that is our trepidation about life, surely the darkness shall cover me. We're scared. But it says, even the night shall be light about me. That is the reality of the child of God. God will bring us out of that darkness. And in Exodus, it talked about that was a night to be remembered, a night to be observed, that God brought them out of that. So we are to walk as children of light. I think that is a, a theological standing. It is an understanding of the light we possess is something we strive for, desire. You know, grace, the grace of God, the mercy of God to make this possible and to make this a reality. I believe it's such a powerful antidote against sin and against despair and against doubt in our life, and against the very power of evil. That it says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, the grace seemed to be such an overwhelming aspect to take care of sin that the argument was made there in Scripture. And from a logical standpoint, you would say, well, yeah, grace covers sin, so shall we just continue in sin? Does it even matter anymore? That was the magnitude of how grace was esteemed when people began to truly understand what it was and what it was meant to be. But it's only from a logical standpoint because we operate in a spiritual sense. And the answer to that is certainly not. We don't continue in sin. We are delivered from that. Who would want to? The glory of the Lord, the light of God shining upon our way brings an understanding, a perspective that we rise above sin, that we put it away. We, we don't want to have anything to do with it. It's repulsive to us. In the account of Jesus coming to this earth, we think of it as the advent of Christmas. Well, back then, the people didn't know what Christmas was. It was just something. So, so we kind of designate this in our minds. We only talk about Christmas stuff during Christmas. But it says, The angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about those shepherds. The light of the glory of God. They witnessed a great thing, an astounding thing when that event 
came to pass. And I was just thinking, you know, if the glory of the Lord was in our lives, visible to where we experience it and we walk in that and maybe God shows himself his glory to us. That takes care of a lot of the little problems in life when we are walking in the glory of God, when we are walking in the light of God. Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. So that's referring to Jesus, the person of Jesus. It's referring to a human, a man who came to this world. They have seen a great light and our duty and our call is to meet the person of Jesus Christ. He is the light in our day, in our time. Jesus also told us that ye are the light. We are the light. We don't just reflect God's light. We are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 says, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Something we have, something we possess. We possess life. Along with that is light. We possess that as well. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the gospel is referred to as light. It talks about the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. There seems to be an abundance of this in the language that the Lord would give us in his word. Philippians 2, 15 and 16, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. So verse after verse referring to this thing of, about light. But you know, in the, in the course of, of life and in the paths we travel, <clears throat> the light that we perceive and the light that we walk in, I had to think of it, may become dim. We may, our candle may flicker. We may become like the psalmist when he says, Thy, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. And I don't think of a, of a lamp as being very bright. <clears throat> But in our darkness, maybe we're just hanging on to one little glimmer of God's word. Um, it doesn't just overflow our spirits all the time because we go through things. And I've gone through things where even the word of God did not appeal to me because I would I had immersed myself into it, and I enjoyed the Word of God. I loved the Word of God. But when times get really bad, even those comforting words are almost not cutting it for us. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. 
but I think of that lamp unto my feet. There may be one or two things that come through to our spirits, and God uses that as a light unto our path. Proverbs 6.23 says, the, for, for the commandment is a lamp and the law is light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Now, intellectually, we may know these things, but experientially, sometimes we falter. We do not walk in the knowledge. It takes more than knowledge. It takes a supernatural presence of that light in our, in our spirit sometimes to, to bring that about. You know, that verse is talking about arise, shine, for your light has come. Well, you know, sometimes we're like that sleeper that doesn't really want to be woke up. And to just throw light on that situation doesn't really appeal to them. You know, many times we aren't seeing the big picture. There was an illustration one time of of uh, someone said that when you're riding a bike in the dark, when you're riding a bike uphill in the dark, it's easier. I've heard that. And the reason is, is because you don't see the hill in front of you. You don't see the whole picture to where it overwhelms you. Sometimes we need a bigger picture, but sometimes it's better to walk one step at a time. <clears throat> We can see farther in the dark. We can see farther at night in our natural world than we can in the day. Do you ever think about the stars? You can't see them during the day. I think God brings us through dark times to where our vision goes beyond the darkness and we see the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. So to walk in light, I think it means the favor of God. It means the fellowship of God. It means the provision of God. It means the life of God. But also light can mean understanding. It can mean knowledge and wisdom. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 verse 18 says, the, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That has to do with, with includes aspects of wisdom and discernment and revelation from God. I think of the instances in, in the scripture where, where there was a blinding light from God upon people's uh, part of their life, Saul, on the way to Damascus. God's revelation in a physical world to man. At the time of Jesus' resurrection, it said there was an angel of the Lord that descended from heaven and rolled back the stone on that resurrection day. His countenance was like lightning. Let's turn to Matthew Chapter 17. 
the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. And this chapter begins in verse 1. It says, after six days. After six days. I don't know if there's a, anything prophetic in that. The Bible does speak of the relationship with the end times. A thousand years is one day, and a day is as a thousand years in the sight of God. And from the creation of man, we are approaching the end of the sixth day. So I'm just going to leave that where it is. Jesus taking Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. I'm just going to stop there. As I look at this event, and it seems like it's recorded in, in about each gospel, if I remember right. I wonder if it isn't a subtle reference to our, uh, a picture of us in heaven. It says he bringeth them up. He bringeth them up. We look forward to ascending to be with him in heaven. He bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, apart from the things of this world. This world is not our home. As accommodating as it is, sometimes we forget that. And was transfigured before them. That speaks of a change. We, we look forward to being changed, to be transformed into the image the firstborn of many creatures, I believe, Jesus was described as that. Firstborn among many brethren. But there's a transforming, a transfiguration we shall undergo in our bodies. For, thus, for those of us who are alive and remain at that time. And so, his face did shine. His raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with them. So we see the appearance of those who have gone before. And that's something we look forward to in the heavenlies. Maybe God was giving us a picture there of, of something to look forward to. Getting back to our passage here in Ephesians 5. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. I think it gives a little bit of a summary there. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. We know those lists of the, of the spirits. We can probably quote them from memory. Love, joy, and peace. They are foundational in our experience. The goodness, the righteousness, the truth, that is the foundation of what we walk in. <clears throat> Proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. I like that thought.
walking in a sense of understanding to where we can meet and prove what is acceptable. Another version says, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Test and prove what pleases the Lord. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. And of course that familiar verse in Romans 12, verse 2, proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Do Christians always know what they're supposed to do in every situation? I don't think we do. We have to navigate some things in life. And I like how it says about David in 1 Samuel 22. He said a certain thing had come to pass and he was running from Saul. And he said, I'm going to stay here till I know what God will do for me. It was like he had a, a moment of waiting and expectancy concerning what God would do for him. Expecting to hear from God. So we don't always know, but I think the light, when we shine the light of God's word and God's spirit on a set of circumstances, it can often become much clearer over time. And it can become very clear, in fact. But in many things of this life, we know in part, we prophesy in part. It doesn't mean we aren't saved. It's just part of our carrying out our responsibilities. But I believe the light of God's word advances us beyond those shadows of doubt. Beyond those areas of darkness to where we can begin to take back territory and take the spoils of the enemy and reclaim the years that the locusts have perhaps taken from our lives. I believe when it talks about walking as children of light, it's calling us to a sense of maturity in our walk. You know that parable Jesus told of those, that one sheep, he said, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repenteth than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. In other words, he insinuated we don't just keep repenting and repenting all through life. He refers to those who need no repentance. Now, I hope to communicate that thought in, in a way that is scriptural. Hebrews 6 talks about going on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and so on. Maturity to where we get past the need for milk and we move into the meat. Now, I heard the men have prepared... Is it this, this uh, noon meal by the men? That they like, they like the meat. We, we major on that. So that's just the rumor I heard. <laughs> so praise God. We're going to enjoy some meat for uh, Sunday noon meal. 
So anyway, I like that thought of maturity. Having our senses exercised, it talks about in Hebrews. Uh, and this, this flows into proving what is acceptable before God because it talks about in there having your senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That is the purpose of exercising the gifts God has given us, to discern good and evil in difficult cases, perhaps. I might tell another little story I remember from my boyhood. There was a meeting at Bank Church. Most of you know where that is. And on a Sunday evening, it was dark outside. At least it became dark. <clears throat> but there were some fellows hanging around the church outside, and this was at the, a good while back, probably 35 years ago. That, um, in the old days at, at Bank Church, they had a, a service panel out on a telephone pole. And some guys got the idea they're going to turn this power off during the church service because it had to, like a big main switch. And so... <clears throat> They waited till the service started until everybody was singing. And of course, we learned about this later, but during the song, all of a sudden, all the lights went off in the church. And the song stopped too. The singing just stopped just like that. So that was a little thing to remember, a little joke. And I don't know if they got reprimanded. I'm, I'm, that probably was the last time that happened. Okay, there's probably some things put in place to make sure that didn't happen again. But, you know, I had to think of that. That song stopped. Uh, we couldn't see what we were doing. But, you know, that's what Satan in the, and wants to do with the darkness that is around us. He wants to turn off the light. He wants to stop our song. He wants to make it so we can't see. He wants to take away the light of God's word and God's influence so that we have no direction, no guidance, and no ability to reprove the works of darkness. That is one thing I was wanting to bring out here, is that how light exposes and reproves the darkness. But I see our time is getting away. And so I don't want to, uh, to take too long here this morning. Light from God, it gives guidance. It exposes danger. It gives confidence. It gives authority. It gives revelation. It gives protection from evil. It is, a, it is that shield of protection. Much like that pillar of fire between the Egyptians and the Pharaoh's army there at the Red Sea. And that pillar of, of fire was light to the children of Israel, but it was darkness to the enemy. That is what we need. And it kept the two apart. It, it separated them. So let's walk in the light of God. I'm going to ask our family to come up, and we're going to sing another song. Um, I know they don't really like to do this, but... <laughs> 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 <laughs>
I figure they're alone. They may as well help do some stuff. <laughs> do we have that song, What Star Is This? What star is this with being so bright? And this brings into focus the light of Jesus on our lives. It's not just good for Christmas. It's good for all, for every day, every 